the 45th President of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump. People are so frustrated in this country. Free speech under fire. They're bringing drugs. How desperate the left has become. How desperate Democrats have become. become. They're bringing crime. Dissolution of the country. They're rapists. Sever the ties that unite us as a nation. With the challenges and crises that we face right now, this is not the time to divide this country. Hello, I'm Denzel Mitchell. I'm Tahi Wiggins. And I'm Avery Shivers. And this is Main Street Speaks, a podcast about local news, politics, and history from the perspective of three college students from the Northern Neck of Virginia. Today, we will be speaking with two local young activists, Brianna Smith and Lakea Shelton, who organized a 300-person Black Lives Matter march in Tappahannock, Virginia, about youth organizing in rural areas such as the Northern Neck. But before we get into the interview, here's a quick recap of some of this week's news. Several Virginia universities returned for the fall semester this past week. However, as students have returned to their respective campuses, university administrators have had to ensure that community members adhere to COVID guidelines and take precautions such as wearing masks and social distancing. Yet, despite these efforts, containing the spread of the virus has proven difficult for many universities, as dozens of cases have emerged within the past week at both Virginia Tech and Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. Additionally, in response to students' neglect of COVID guidelines, Virginia Tech administrators took action and suspended seven Virginia Tech students earlier last week. These examples confirm many of the fears public health experts have had about on-campus learning this fall. Virginia State Senator L. Louise Lucas of Portsmouth has been charged with conspiracy to commit a felony and injury to a monument causing more than $1,000 in damage. Senator Lucas appeared on police body camera footage telling officers not to arrest demonstrators around Portsmouth's Confederate monument. As a state senator, Lucas has no jurisdiction of the local police. The vice mayor, who's also Lucas's daughter, is seen in the video pleading with protesters to wait for the city council to remove the statue legally. But Lucas is seen saying, quote, to hell with the city council, unquote. She was not present when the statue was eventually torn down by demonstrators. Some have expressed skepticism about the charges, which were brought right before the legislative session against Senator Lucas, who is one of the most prominent Black women in Virginia political history. The Virginia General Assembly started its special session last week, and according to 8 News, a Virginia Senate committee has approved legislation that includes the Marcus Alert System. If passed and signed into law, This system would dispatch mental health professionals along with police officers in instances of mental health crises. The Marcus Alert System is named after Marcus David Peters, a former biology teacher at Essex High School who was shot and killed by Richmond police in 2018 while experiencing a mental health crisis. And Peters' sister, Princess Blanding, is the grassroots activist who is pushing for the Marcus Alert System to be implemented as law. Today, we are speaking with Pakea Shelton of Tappahannock, who is currently studying at Rappahannock Community College and will be transferring to ODU to study women's studies and psychology. We're also speaking with Brianna Smith, who recently graduated from Rappahannock High School and will be attending Spelman College in the fall to study nursing with a minor in African-American studies. 
thank both of you for being here today, Lakia and Brianna. We, we want to talk about, of course, the organizing you've been doing in the community um, in the wake of the death of George Floyd and also the work you've been doing to help take down the Confederate monument. But uh, if you're comfortable sharing, what, what has your experience with racism been like uh, in this area, um, in the Northern Neck, before uh, the death of George Floyd? Going to predominantly white high school, I definitely saw racism in the school system from like how they were disciplining the kids. And like, it was known for Richmond County to have rednecks. They would call themselves rednecks. And like, they would shamelessly say that their parents don't want them having black friends or black girlfriends and boyfriends. I feel like me specifically, I haven't really gone through it. Essex was predominantly black. But I feel like their administration um, in the high school was predominantly white. So, I mean, some students will be like, um, they felt like the teachers or whoever couldn't understand them as much. So maybe it was, um, that had a little effect on students. But me personally, I feel like I haven't gone through it. But I feel like the problem is, just because you personally haven't gone through anything doesn't mean that there isn't a problem at all. That's when you like try to step in and, you know, help everybody else out and give them a voice. And just, just to follow up on that, um, have you, what has your relationship with police officers been? They scare me. So like, if I see a cop car get behind me, my heart instantly drops. Like, it's just this Well, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, last <laughs> night I had one follow me, like through tail, till um they have like a new little office or whatever across the hospital and I was like man if you're just gonna pull me over just do it but they, I guess they didn't do it um but I'm also related to the sheriff in Titanic Arnie Holmes and he's like I don't know he just he's so different so it proves to me that there are good ones but I feel like they all need to step in and like tell everybody else to do better like it's true not all cops are bad but i feel like if they're not all bad the good ones need to step in and like they just need to prove that even if you are a good cop it's not just being a good cop like not doing anything um so moving on now to the specifics of the organizing that you've been doing on the northern neck I mean, this was uh, a 300-person march, which, considering the area in which we live, is, I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> so could you kind of walk us through the process of organizing that? You know, just what was it like? How did you each play a unique role? Um, yeah, just what was that experience like? Honestly, it was bigger than I thought it would be. Like, when I right. initiated it, I didn't think it was going to be this big. So... I reached out to Lakea because I was like, I was watching all the news and I was like, man, it happens here, but ain't nobody saying nothing, ain't nobody doing nothing. So I was like, I think we should do something for our voices to be heard. So organizing it was amazing. It was eye-opening, like networking with other organizations and seeing how something small can turn into something big and really make a path for a change and new opportunities to do other stuff to make a change. Yeah, I 100% feel like I did, well, I really didn't have any idea it was going to be a 300-person march at all. 
Like that was the biggest question up in the air of how many people did we expect to come. And when we were talking to the other organizers in the group that were helping us, they would be like, yeah, on Facebook, there's a lot of people that want to come. But I mean, you know, when you hear that and you hear about the other marches in like Lancaster or anywhere closer, you didn't think it would be as big as it was. So I guess that's when we like, (laughs) that's when we created a Facebook to like talk to people on there and give them more information. And I realized, I was like, well, wait a minute, this might actually be a little bit bigger than I thought. And um, yeah, we, I feel like we planned it pretty well. We had like waters and snacks and masks made, like all this within like the span of what, a week? Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot that went into it. Sometimes it stressed me out, honestly, but I feel like it was worth it. It did. Like all the ropes, like making sure the police don't bother us and that everyone's safe. It was Yeah, it was and then everybody had like different inputs and trying to accommodate all of them. It was definitely stressful. Yeah. But it's like a day I'll never forget. Could you speak a little bit more about some of those challenges that you described, whether it was challenges reaching out to people or challenges accommodating different viewpoints and how you overcame those challenges? Um, you can't please everybody. So people <laughs> are going it's going to be things that people don't like or people expect you to change. Like, I know they wanted to change the time at one point. And it's like, well, we already set this time and planned this time. Like, it's kind of too late. Like, we can't accommodate one person. So yeah. Like- and then, like, the length of the march, some people thought it was too long to walk. And people with um, maybe, like, that couldn't walk physically that long. So we tried to have like little checkpoints or water break points. And um, some people like organize, I guess, just driving back and forth or just parking at a space and watching. Like it was a lot that went into it trying to accommodate a lot of people. So that was a big key point too. Like there was a lot of stuff that went into it to actually make sure that people that wanted to do it but physically couldn't walk that long, could be involved. Hmm. And y'all mentioned, y'all mentioned like Facebook. Did you guys primarily rely on using Facebook as a like advertising and marketing for it all? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, making flyers. And what, what was the turnout like in terms of like, uh, like age and, and that kind of population? Were there a lot of young folk? Because I imagine if you guys use social media, like you guys might be able to reach like a younger population yeah, it was um, a lot of youth. Yeah, I would say when we got to the um, when we finished the walk to, um, like when we're walking to our destination to the little um end of the bridge and um town right before Romus, and we stopped right there. Um, they were like, "We need all the youth here, like eighteen and under." I would say it was a good third. Um, yeah, mm. it was a lot. The people that came yeah and it was like a lot of young young kids too like i would say below 12 that were there too and that kind of leads into my next point like when planning and organizing the march and everything did you guys experience like within the organizing group you guys experience kind of like intergenerational tensions between the planning because like i know like a lot of young folk and you know older generations kind of there's a disparity between you know what's expected from 
these kind of things. So did you guys experience any of that while planning? I'd say 30 below. They're like, no, it's kind of freedom of speech. Who cares about walking on the sidewalk, blah, mm. blah, blah. And then 30 plus, they were like, well, let's try to stay within our guidelines so that way we don't have um, the police at our necks about that. Mm-hmm. So it was a kind of a small disagreement about that, but for the most part, I feel like everybody was on the same page. Yeah. And in your opinion, um, why do you think there is that disparity? I mean, obviously there are, there are a lot of historical implications around this question, but just in your own experience, what do you think some of the older individuals' reasons were? I feel like they're more cautious because they've seen more than us but i also feel like the the younger generation is more we're more like well we feel this way so we're gonna say it and they more like well if it's not nice you shouldn't say it but at the same time you have to get your point across so the monday before the march i was talking to my grandfather about it my grandfather he is from sharps virginia um how old is he 71 72 um and he was just asking me questions about it he was like so why do you want to do this like I mean it's good what you're doing but he was basically saying like he just doesn't like getting involved with that kind of stuff and he was coming up around the time like before like right before everything got um integrated so he was basically saying like with people he knows and him personally they just rather not rock the boat, I guess you could say. And it's funny because the day of the march, right when we were um, turning to walk down past In and Burger, his truck went by and I saw him and he saw me and just like the look on his face, I guess he was like surprised of how the turnout was. And then afterwards he was saying like how proud of us he was and he would never really have the courage to do it. And it made him think a little differently than how he was at first so that was kind of nice to see as well and did you did you get the support of uh organizations such as the NAACP honestly I didn't even know who the members of the NAACP were or like the main member until the the day of the march literally had no idea they definitely, I don't, I wouldn't say we wouldn't have, we didn't have their support, but it was definitely called out that the group is very silent. Oh, they said they had to go through certain rules and regulations to do certain things around town. But yeah, I really didn't know who, who or what they did, I guess you could say, or what they wanted to do until the day of the march. Like I had no idea. What do you what do you think were some of the challenges you faced that were specific to rural areas? Um, you of course talked about advertising and and things of that nature. What what are some of the things that you think that people in more urban or suburban areas wouldn't have to face in in organizing a march like this? I feel um, like when I seen things in Richmond marches and protests or whatever, every. I don't know how they organized it, but it's, I feel like it was always very consistent and always a big group of people, like always. Yeah. And I feel like here in the Northern Neck, 
like I said earlier, some people may be a little reluctant to coming out. Some people will never agree on the date and time and older people and younger people. Um, I don't know. It's just certain things that people can't agree on. And then with the word not getting around as fast as I feel like it would in Richmond, you would have yeah. to worry about the turnout or everything being consistent. Um, or in a branch when I feel like that's a big difference between rural and urban. Um, I feel like also, like, I know, like, the day of the march, it was, like, people trying to say that our march was going to block the bridge and stuff like that. Like, the opposition was trying to definitely stop us from having it. So I feel like that was an issue. But I feel like in royal areas, the march was more intimate and spiritual because these are people we see on our everyday life like we know most of these people so it was more intimate yeah and also I feel like in the city they're like I don't care who it hurts I don't care what happens to xyz we're doing this and down here it's like but this or what if this happens well what are we gonna do if this like people I would say they care too much a little bit Definitely. But at the same time, we have each other back. So, yeah. I think that's a a really, really profound point. And I, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that. And is, I mean, given the choice between the kind of city atmosphere with, um, you know, a lot more, a lot easier logistical planning, but maybe this kind of like, I don't care and less intimate mentality versus, the rural setting where, I mean, as you both <laughs> clearly have been explaining, there's a lot of work going in to coordinate all this. But as you said, it's much more intimate and spiritual. Like, which one do you prefer and which one do you think is more effective? I feel like the 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 urban <laughs> one is a little more effective. I mean, yeah. it gets more it new coverage. A lot of destruction sometimes. But I do feel like when all that happens, you see, I wouldn't say accommodations, but I definitely feel like you see slight changes. Yeah. Like they, for example, they spray painted um, the statue on Monument Ave and was just always surrounded that. But across from the sheriff's office, is like standing around it, um, and yeah. just protesting at it is not really things being done about it. They're still giving the runaround of who owns it, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Like any reason why it shouldn't be taken down. Um, yeah. But yeah, that versus what you see on Monument Ave, you kind of see which one has the bigger push. And I feel like in the city, they're more vocal on what they want. Like, down here, we was just limit. It was limitations, so that's a big difference on why city marches are more effective. Yeah, it's like nobody wants to step on anybody's toes down here. But if you're not stepping on um, folks' toes, then what's really gonna change? Exactly, and I feel like it dies down down here in the city. They kept it going. Yeah, like, it's still going, in my opinion. It's no, consistent. It's definitely died down. And here's this, like, oh, it was just a one-day thing. No, 
consistent. It has to be consistent. We have to keep doing something. Yeah, I feel like maybe marches and protests were popular in June. So maybe that's why it was a big outcome. People wanted to be a part of that, but they didn't want to really get into the nitty gritty part of it. What do y'all think is next in this um, in this movement in the rural area? And what should young people like us kind of start doing in our area, in our communities to, to keep up the momentum of this? Right now, I feel like one of the important things is to get people to register to vote and to vote for this election coming up. I feel like that's a big part of what's going on. And I feel like the young people have to educate themselves on what's going on because there's definitely power in knowledge. Like that's what they feared back then. And that's what they fear now is knowledge. So. Yeah. And piggybacking off what she said, I know a lot of people that are registered to vote that don't vote or they think the presidential election is the most important, which is a hundred percent not true. And I feel like with the whole educating yourself part, um, I would say going to school and learning your history or whatever and government is not enough either because half of the stuff I learned came from after I graduated high school and started um, researching and learning things myself because they don't really teach you um, the harsh things of slavery and American history. They just teach you like um, things that everybody knows or that's on the surface. Nothing really too deep besides the Holocaust. And we definitely need to learn our rights because I feel like not everyone knows all their rights. So that's a big issue. Um, and I guess they just need to speak up more. Like everybody, I feel like, has the same views, but it takes a lot more than two people to actually speak up. All right. Well, thank you being with us today and uh, good luck in school. So again, that was Brianna Smith and Lakea Shelton the two amazing young women who organized a 300-person Black Lives Matter march in Tappahannock, Virginia this past June. It was great to hear their perspective about youth organizing and activism in rural areas. And for our final thoughts portion of the episode, we'd like to make a slight correction to a statement we made on last week's episode about food insecurity. While talking about federal programs that help address food insecurity, we implied that the Temporary Assistance for Needy Families Program, or TANF, was the same as SNAP benefits or the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. But apologies, these are two separate programs. Yeah, so SNAP provides nutrition benefits to supplement the food budget of needy families so they can purchase healthy food and move towards self-sufficiency. TAMF, on the other hand, affords block grants to design and operate programs that accomplish purposes of the TANF program and to help families achieve self-sufficiency. Well, that's all we have today. Thanks for listening and bearing with us as we manage moving locations, recording remotely, and figuring out a format for the future. This is Main Street Speaks. I'm Denzel Mitchell. I'm Avery Shivers. And I'm Tahi Wiggins. We'll see you next time.